as like the beachfront. Okay. Okay. I'm. Uh, I. Th- I think I. I think I know what to say. I think. I, I think I'll have a. I think I have a good idea. Um, yeah. All right. So I guess without further ado, um, we're just gonna record officially in three, two. Oh, by the way, Skype um, might crash on us. Uh, so be prepared okay. to deal with that fuckery. Um, and if it does, you know, I'll just I'll send you a message. Hey, um, you know, I got to restart my computer or whatnot. Hopefully, yep. hopefully it won't do that to us. But um, I guess I'll just start in three, two, one. This is Enter VR. I'm Chris Miranda, your host. And this is the podcast on all things virtual reality and a lot more. Um, on today's show, I'm speaking with Adam J. Adam J is a, a an active um pioneering uh member of the vr chat slash vr community and the 3d printing community in general um and i spoke i saw you speak a little while ago adam um first of all thank you for coming on the show <laughs> oh thank you very much for for having me i'm excited um I'm, i really want to pick at your brain because you, there were some things that you said during the gunter's universe Duncan Trussell episode that stuck out for me. Um, nice. And uh, yeah, I just want to pick at your brain and just, you know, philosophize with you about VR and other stuff and whatnot. Um, awesome. Let's start from the very beginning. Um, why Why are you interested in VR? And what what's your origin story? <laughs> I have uh, two origin stories, one for personal 3D printing, and one for uh, virtual reality in general. And uh, they both have to do with uh, Terrence McKenna, which, uh, spoiler alert, in this uh, podcast, you're going to hear a lot of talk about VR chat and a lot of talk about Terrence McKenna. So we'll get that right out of the way. Uh, Disclaimer. Um, So uh, Terrence McKenna back in the 90s, the, the first... Uh, supposed VR revolution that everybody was expecting and, and hoping for. Uh, he was uh, a luminary from a bunch of other different disciplines who talked a lot about the cultural ramifications of virtual reality. So that's what kind of, aside from, you know, just boyhood pop culture, you know, exposure to what VR could be or wasn't, you know, all of the uh, VR boy and stuff like that. Um, but the first origin story is uh, personal 3D printing, which, again, has a lot to do with uh, Terrence McKenna. I spent uh, years with an earbud, you know, in one ear, just uh, constantly listening to all the different lectures and different topics, which is this, like, week's worth of, of audio of recordings of that guy. Uh, and a lot of stuff resonated with me. A couple things kept rolling around in my head, one of them being... He was really into, uh, you know, computer graphics at the time in the 90s and design, 3D design and virtual worlds and stuff like that. And his musings on, uh, on language and communication in general, uh, he said, if you want to advance spiritually, uh, learn 3D design. And he was talking about language and how you could potentially show people what you mean um, rather than have them kind of use a, you know, a rough dictionary to interpret what they think you mean. Um, so that always kind of stuck with me as an interesting thing. It rolled around in my head and I was looking at uh, character animation as a possible uh, future 
and uh, learned a lot about like the 3D uh, world, the marketplaces of all the different 3D items where people have plumbed their imaginations and used uh, expensive tools to you know, regurgitate it out onto a, a virtual canvas and then put it up for sale so people can pick and choose and create their own little, you know, uh, 3D plays, which are, you know, essentially what a, a Pixar production is. And you did, they just choose to show it from a certain viewpoint for a 2D screen. So I was fascinated by that. And there's a couple online uh, schools like Animation Mentor I was considering uh, going through. And then I got exposed to a little mini doc on YouTube, a uh, libertarian documentary about democratizing manufacturing. And it had uh, one of the early maker bots. Uh, I think it was a cupcake, one of the really rough looking ones made out of plywood. And uh, as soon as I saw that thing making things in a relatively fast way and, you know, uh, additive manufacturing rather than subtractive, uh, it was all, you know, clearly more efficient. And all of the implications and possibilities hit me like a, a ton of bricks. And uh, I wanted to you know, get my hands on one, get into the community as soon as I could, which I was probably maybe two years behind as far as the people who had been playing with the um, RepRap project, uh, 3D printers, open source program or project that uh, has pretty much everything to do with the, uh, the current 3D personal 3D printing revolution piggybacked on some patents that, uh, that expired which is a whole nother conversation, the patents for 3D printing. Not saying it would be as cheap, but we could have been doing this uh, local manufacturing meme uh, a lot sooner, you know, a couple decades if it weren't for uh, some patent holders in the industry. That's aside the point. Um, so I want to get my hands on one of these 3D printers and start playing with the applications and seeing if I couldn't further that, you know, that thing I had in my head, the printed promise, like all the positive possibilities that could come from a disruptive technology like that. And uh, my wife kind of calmed me down. She's like, you know, instead of saving up for one, we spend that time going over a business plan and trying to make a business out of it if you think there's so many possibilities in it. And that was uh, getting on a roller coaster. She didn't she didn't realize that that was stepping on to the roller coaster because making a business plan in that landscape of like the past four or five years of uh, personal 3D printing, volatile doesn't really, you know, come close to it. Uh, it's very hard to judge where everything's going to be in a few months. Um, <clears throat> plus the money uh, that you'd usually apply for, they didn't really... Uh, or still don't really understand, you know, the new paradigm that all of this kind of really opens up and trying to put it into a box that they can understand and make money off of kind of ruined a couple early business plans that had some, some promise of uh, distributing the, uh, the technology and distributing manufacturing in general. Um, so, so let me ask that, you that kind of brings us up to, you know, about uh, six or months ago where VR came into the picture. Oh, so you've been involved in VR for six to eight months about now, just around now? Um, yeah, when did Unity 5 drop? I wouldn't know. <laughs> it's been, it's yeah. been a lot of things that have been, been going on. Well, I remember the first event that I was part of and got to collaborate and make some 
environments for VR chat was uh, Tesla's birthday, which was uh, July 10th of last year. Okay. So, so you probably for that. You have a, so you have a good a good uh, amount uh, being spent in the community. For some reason, I have the I've had the impression that I've seen you longer. Like I've seen like it, it like I've seen your name for years. Um, or maybe that's the simulation playing tricks on me. Um, let me ask be. you really quick: When you first got involved in 3D printing, um, and we'll get to VR in a bit because now you've you've piqued my curiosity with a couple of things you said. What mm-hmm. is it? What implications that you see in the beginning when you when you said um, you know you got really interested and you started wondering about all the implications of 3D printing? Like, can can you tell me what those are? What do you what do you think? Well, initially, you know, it was obvious that it was disruptive. It was obvious it was disruptive to a point where, you know, laws would be reevaluated and laws would be written, you know, because of this technology, um, because the amount of, you know, freedom that it brings and distributed freedom. So I know anything that was going to have that, you know, those ramifications was definitely going to be, you know, money-wise worth investing time in. Uh, the other thing was the, you know, the simplicity of watching these um FFF, either fused filament fabrication, or the copyrighted term FDM, uh, fused deposition modeling. Um, it's watching watching it is you know it's very elegant, it's very simple, and it's almost like you know why didn't you know why didn't we come up with this a long time ago? It's it's so easy. Uh, you left me and, behind. What is FDM and what if FFS? Sorry. So the two terms for um, uh, the typical desktop level 3D printing. Okay. Uh, the open source term is FFF, which stands for fused filament fabrication. Okay. Uh, you'll often hear people use the term FDM, fused deposition modeling, um, but that's actually a copywritten term uh, from Stratasys, one of the, the big players, the people who came up with this uh, back in the, I think, early, early 80s. Uh, and then there's other... Uh, desktop level uh, resin, a uh, photo reactive uh, resin, um, and then there's uh, a leg up. Uh, the big boy toys use uh, laser sintering. Basically, either uh, you'll have a powder bath um, of different materials, and it'll either be fused together with lasers or a, a polymer, a polyjet system. Um, so you've got a, a few flavors of 3D printing. Um, but I like to make the distinction between personal 3D printing and industrial 3D printing um, because when the two, I'm a stickler for language, uh, and when language, you know, when the muddy waters of language get muddied, like everybody, you know, gets hurt in that scenario. So I try to make the distinction uh, between personal 3D printing and industrial 3D printing. And right now the... Uh, powder bath uh, systems, the very large systems, those are on the industrial level. It's getting more and more distributed, but still considered on the industrial level for price of the unit and what they're capable of doing. Uh, and so which one is more likely to cause more, the most disruption, the, the personal or the industrial scale at this point? Um, you know, it depends on the disruption that uh, you want to talk about culturally personal uh bottom bottom line and efficiency and you know better products faster and custom to you industrial um but those are two different uh discussions altogether in my opinion i'm more interested in the cultural ramifications which means distributed which means easy to use which means you know low tolerance high margins for you know error and uh 
highly uh, likely of recyclability, you know, down the line. So that's why I like the filament ones, even with the desktop resin ones, not much there for the possibility of recycling the, the objects you've made in case of a failure or you're just done with it. Fascinating. So I'm a total noob here. As you probably can already tell, I'm already I'm way over my head. Um, and so I'll probably get to the point with the last couple questions on 3D printing. How do you make a business in this field? Um, and how do you know where the demand is coming from? So right now, it's uh, you try to uh, do volume and have uh, printers going constantly all the time if you do a, a print farm. And that's uh, I'm in favor of that. I like the idea of distributed spots all around the country, all around the world um, with man- different manufacturing capabilities, servicing their local area uh, and getting away from, uh, you know, mass production and shipping something around the world, uh, you know, in the hopes that somebody needs it someday. That whole system is is ending and all the packaging and, you know, fuel for the trains, for the planes, for the, for the ships, like all of that can be set aside. Um, so I see a vision. There's, sorry to interrupt, but but I feel like you're painting for me a vision here where people don't have to, where products don't have to be hauled halfway across the world, um, but instead they're made sort of on demand in regional, local places that um, can ship them faster potentially or more efficiently. Right. Okay. Right. And when you ship materials or, you know, ideally the materials, the stock material could come from you know, the local area as far as recycled plastics, or we're now seeing uh, doping of plastics with foreign material, which can either give you a really nice finish and, you know, a premium look, or you could actually be hiding, uh, you know, essentially metaphorically sweeping it under the rug, so to speak, and and doping trash or otherwise, uh, you know, uh, eco-waste agricultural waste, hiding it in everyday objects. Um, and part of the, hmm. I, part of the uh, problem there is trying to get like something that doesn't have a great, you know, finish to it or something that, you know, classically right now in the materialistic object fetish, you know, situation we have right now isn't cool. It isn't, you know, spot on. It doesn't look like it's been mass produced, you know, from China. Uh, but that's a double-edged sword because the problem we see with uh, um, small little plastic items is uh, a psychological block of, oh, this was mass produced in China and it's, you know, worth a penny and this guy is charging me $5 or, you know, something like that. So it's a uh, conditioning on, on both sides. People both, uh, you know, uh, shun something that you're presenting as like, this has value in ecological value, local manufacturing value, this amorphous kind of new paradigm value that isn't defined yet. Uh, but they're like, you know, no, it's not as good as what could come from China. And they say, on the other hand, well, here's an item that, you know, it's quick. It was made custom to you for you. It looks, you know, like something plastic made from China. And they're like, no, that's worthless. It was made in China. And it's like, how do you, you know, how do you win in a situation like that? Uh, so that's part part of the uphill battle on the the cultural shift um, that is inevitable, but it seems like it needs a little bit of a nudge. Fascinating. Um, I feel like we could spend a lot of time talking about the three D printing industry field. You seem very excited about it and passionate about it, but I want to make a the next. I want to segue into bridging perhaps VR and three D printing. 
Um, mm-hmm. And it seems like you have both feet in the, you know, both feet on both swimming pools, so to speak. Yeah. I don't think people ever say that, but but <laughs> VR and 3D printing, like what um, hap- applications do you think intersect those worlds? Have you, have you thought about that? Yes, I've been giving that as much thought as I possibly can. I've been full on pivoting into a a studio situation where I'll be doing 3D printing and creating uh, VR content of some kind, you know, everything from Google Cardboard to something accessible with a a decent HMD, which VRChat, a great platform uh, to do, especially with prototyping. Um, So basically all the, the... I could boil it down to three, but there's a lot of facets to how 3D printing and VR kind of come together. One thing that uh, people respond very well to is the idea of creating a a two-way street between R and VR. If you want to bring something into VR from R, you 3D scan it. And there's a lot of different ways uh, Uh, that's going on. Reality, you mean? Or uh, yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. You you, you are. Yeah. I like. uh, Yeah. I like. I like the abbreviation. I'm gonna start calling it R from now on. (laughs) Nice. Um, So if you want to bring something into VR, 3D scanning is obviously the best way to do it. Um, We're not. We don't have like instantaneous, uh, you know, modeling abilities yet based on Mm -hmm. thought or you know we're getting there, but we don't have that yet. Uh, so 3D scanning is a, a you know the road into VR, and to ex- export something from VR into R, 3D printing. Uh, there's a lot of different you know manufacturing solutions that can be localized. There's an auto uh, loom. There's um, you know for textiles and whatnot, and there's also laser cutting. So this kind of works with all of the um, local. Uh, or the manufacturing methods that are being pioneered by the maker movement that can be, you know, kind of moved into a local manufacturing paradigm. Uh, we'll more on that in a second. Um, so uh, just uh, that in general, just using uh, 3D printing as an export function, um, playing on that idea. Uh, one of the things I'm doing for uh, Google Cardboard is uh, doing a, virtual reality experience that's, you know, legitimately cool for a beginner to just get the, uh, you know, the, the demos that everybody downloads and just, you know, gets the idea of 360 viewing and, um, you know, uh, just the enjoyable environment, sound and music and all that. Uh, basically using a simple world that is fashioned specifically to display four items. Uh, 3D print designs happens to be jewelry. Jewelry is just an easy application. It's a low-hanging fruit kind of thing. Um, And then let that app go out onto the uh, Google Play market for uh, cardboard. And uh, if it, you know, generates some interest in going to my website and, you know, making a purchase on the design that they discovered in VR, uh, that's, you know, basically an example that I want to use in future uh, um, business with other designers, other artisans, uh, where I want to just kind of start this trend of people with Unity experience and developer experience helping all these other artisans get their wares into virtual reality. Um, and there's a kind of a, the agenda for that is the McKenna-istic idea of suspending our culture in light rather than having a physical footprint of culture. 
Uh, we can do a lot of our cultural business in VR in different ways, not just sitting at a desk with a, you know, Oculus Rift on your head, but also, uh, you know, with a Google Cardboard in a quick social situation. You know, it's it's, it's scalable. Um, but the you know the whole idea there is let's see if we can't get rid of malls in general. Uh, the physical structures will still be there, but if we move the cultural business that we do there into VR those malls could then be used as the export station, your local uh, community center. It's your local makerspace. It's your local, local manufacturing facility. And why not throw a void, you know, VR theater in there just because you can. Um, and so that's my kind of like futurism pie in the sky. Wouldn't it be nice if we could get rid of, uh, you know, the malls and replace them with this uh, export function for VR suspend our culture in light, you know, as McKenna would say. Um, and then there's a final step to this. Uh, I'm trying to make as many relationships as I can with developers and float the idea out there of a either a standalone app or just an integrated function. Um, as far as VR, I'm interested in creating utilities um, as far as applications. And wouldn't it be nice if you go through the library of games and you try one of these games and you're having a adventure, you know, game, maybe it's multiplayer social. So you've, you've got some friends in there and you're playing this adventure game. You come across something in game, whether it be jewelry, which again, low hanging fruit. So it's easy example, uh, or like a cup or, you know, a tool or a cool, you know, dagger blade or, you know, handle that might look, you know, really good as a, uh, you know, a key fob or, you know, key organizer or something like that. I typically use uh, a sconce as an example, just because it's fun to say the word sconce. Um, but imagine you're in a, a sconce, yeah. by the way, I need to stop you. It's like when, uh, a light fixture on the side, you know, that's flush mounted to the wall. Okay. Um, Okay. So imagine, yeah, imagine you're playing like a horror game, right? Uh -huh. And you're hi you're hiding in the closet because this monster needs to. You have to wait until the monster passes by, and it's all like you know nerve wracking. But you can't help but notice on the walls a really nice sconce, and you know that would look really nice in my house. And so you know while you're in your horror game situation, you know you kind of like you know toggle or right click whatever. And, bring up a, uh, a selector and you can select that sconce and put it away in your inventory, maybe for a microtransaction, maybe not, who knows how it'll work. Um, and then when you're done with the game, maybe you go into a standalone application that lets you manage uh, settings like you would in a real world shop situation, but you drop in the, you know, the item that you found discovered in your adventures in VR and you select your local uh, 3d printer. You see what uh, materials he has in stock. You see maybe the localist guy doesn't have what you need to go, you know, a little bit farther away, but the idea, the real promise here is having stuff hyper local manufactured uh, for you. Um, Interesting. And then I like this all idea. Huh. And all of this, you know, allows the integration of recycled material from your local area or doped material. I was just, just today I found out a bit a new one. I don't know how I missed this one, but, uh, algae. So they have algae as a byproduct in a bunch of different agricultural situations and also areas where it'll just grow. And it sequesters, it sequest, sequesters, or is it sequests or sequesters, uh, carbon, uh, from the atmosphere. Yeah. It's and, car carbon sequestration. Yeah. Yeah. So then you got to do something with the, you know, the organic matter uh, from this process. So they dry it out, mix it in with, uh, you know, 20, 
30% PLA, which is a corn-based plastic. It's also uh, can be derived from other agricultural uh, materials, but we got plenty of corn. Um, and then, you know, it's 80% this algae or 80% this, uh, you know, recycled material or, you know, inferior plastic from the ocean gyres or, you know, the beaches or even the Great Lakes have a pretty bad microparticulate um, and macroparticulate plastic problem. Um, so people say, oh, there's nothing you can do with that plastic. It'd be too expensive to uh, reconstitute it back into something usable. Well, you could always dope it uh, or dope uh, another plastic with it, use it as a filler. And, you know, someday, Explain hopefully... Explain doping one more time for me. Okay, so you could have a filament, which is what we put into our 3D printers typically right. in the in the FFF or FDM. Um, so that could be 100% PLA plastic, which is the corn plastic. It could be 100% ABS, which comes from petroleum. It's what Legos uses, but they've put a, a ton of money into researching a, a bioplastic replacement for their use of ABS. Um, but can't set aside ABS because even if they turn the taps off with oil and stopped making fresh ABS, there is enough ABS in our local environments, whether it be in old electronic housings or automotive parts or the liners of refrigerators. I mean, it's out there and it's grindable and it's, you know, just a less virgin material than people would suspect sprinkled in and re-extruded as filament. And it's ready to be entered into this new ecosystem of local manufacturing. Um, so, but that, but doping is uh, essentially taking a foreign material, typically 80%, uh, and mixing it in a powder form in with the plastic pellets and then throwing it through the extruder and the filament, the strange form of spaghetti, as McKenna would say. And he actually referenced uh, something, a little futurism as far as 3D printing. Um, but anyway, the, the strange form of spaghetti comes out and it's 80% foreign material, 20% binder, the, you know, the plastic, typically PLA. Um, so in a and sense, this can you're suggesting or hide it, hide material in the in household objects is what I'm saying. Like you need a pen holder, you need you know, well, let's say a sconce. Again, I love just I love saying the word, um, and you could have eighty percent of that material that makes up that you know all the sconces in your house. You're literally hiding what would be. Uh, material out in the ecosystem that just wouldn't go away or be detrimental or, you know, wouldn't break down, that kind of thing. Or so, again, sequestering carbon and, you know, in the algae form. So I got a lot of questions to ask you. Um, you just took me on a wild ride for the past 10 minutes <laughs> and I have no idea where to go this, go, where to go next now. <laughs> it, it's right. a good thing. It's a good thing. I, 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 um, I like, I like a challenge. Um, but you've said so many things and I'm like, man, I, I can go here. I can go there. Um, but man, there's so much information. You are pretty much an encyclopedia. Hasn't anybody told you that? Um, cause holy shit, that, that was a lot <laughs> of information. <laughs> I have pretty good recollection, but I also have a spiel that I've been working on. A lot of this has been, you know, repeated over and over again. Uh, I go to a lot of meetups. I do, you know, little radio interviews or podcasts or something. Um, so a lot of this is, uh, just not so much off the top of my head, but okay. sometimes I'll come a fresh idea and I'll pass it off. Like, yep, I've thought of that for, you know, years. Okay. Well, let's, um, I'll, I'll stick, let's stick to the topic of VR for as long, as much as we can for the remaining of the podcast. Cause I feel like, holy shit, 3d printing is a whole, whole new universe. I might as well, we could start a whole new podcast on just 3d printing and probably, yeah. And, and not even scratch the surface. Um, if you did an episode every day, 
Um, so, uh, tell me more about your involvement in VR chat, um, in terms of, uh, you have this, so, okay. So you want to be able to, this, this application idea that you had, that you mentioned earlier, you want to be able to explore a 3d world and then be able to point at an object and then grab that object and take it to your 3d printer and print it out. Is that sort of what you're envisioning? I'm envisioning more of an agreement between you know myself and the network of uh, local manufacturing uh, 3D printers, uh, which there's a, a service that I've been working with, 3D hubs, and really pushing them to get the tools that I need in order to make all of this possible. But it's a it's a game of relationships, and uh, so an agreement between uh, those parties and all of the you know developers across the board that want to you know blur help me blur the lines between. Uh, R and VR, um, and there's a lot of different you know ways that could happen with this. But basically, if you were a developer, and you know, if I had a protocol or a tool or something I could give you to say, okay, go through your game and any items that you want to make available, uh, you know, you tag them in a certain way where they're you know at least noticeable and uh, selectable by the player, and you know whether it be in the menu system or uh, however. I'm sure different creative ways of, of going about that would happen. Um, and then be able to supply, you know, a third-party application. Maybe it's called Export VR. Maybe it's not. I haven't decided yet. Uh, you know, I've got a few domain names that I've already acquired that could be cool names like that. Um, but basically, uh, providing a OBJ, which everybody, you know, can provide. You know, a developer can provide an OBJ of one of their assets uh, to the third-party app. And it is, you know, sent into the system of being manufactured locally to you where a lot of that network is already built. Uh, so any game, I'd like to see it where it's, you know, you have any experience in VR and as much of that world that you're experiencing around you, as much of that emotional attachment that you're, you know, having with your surroundings. I want to be able to, you know, grab all of that or parts of it or, you know, you know, remix it into a, you know, some kind of talisman or just straight out, you know, 3D print it because it was useful or attractive to you or whatever the reason. Um, I think exporting VR experiences through local manufacturing uh, is cool. I think people will really enjoy it, and I think it would have a very positive effect on not only you know the ecosystem, uh, economy, uh, culture. Uh, you know, there's a, a myriad of ways that it could be a, a positive thing for everybody involved. I wouldn't go so far. I have said it, but I won't now go so far as say it's a killer app for you know both technologies, but. I think the feedback loop, once you connect the two, once the, you know, the, you know, the RCA uh, plug goes in and that feedback loop is established, I think very interesting things will happen and exponential uh, advancements and interconnections. And, oh, I didn't realize that, you know, it would be used in such and such a way. Um, so that's why I'm in social VR, talking to developers, making relationships finding out how all of this i know it'll be a thing i just don't know what it'll you know quite look like yet so i've been spending the past few months trying to figure that out with different experiments and participating in the community and uh, that in itself is rewarding and, and enjoyable there's a great community over there in vr chat um and the feedback loop of of learning and sharing and uh going from you know being intimidated by a, a game engine knowing other software but you know downloading unity and, and jumping in was like 
way over my head or I felt like, and you know, the positive nature of the community and the collaboration on projects and learning on screen shares and Skype. And it's just an amazing. How does the VR community differ um, from the 3d printing community? Well, as far as meetups, um, physical meetups, there's a lot more people going to VR meetups and there are, 3D printing meetups, and I think it's, I don't know, VR is more approachable for the average person than 3D printing, um, and a lot of work has gone into the technology and the materials and different things to make that less of a fact, but, um, and that just, you know, that'll work out for a lot of different people, the makers, there's always been makers and non-makers, so, you know, it's the, the natural order of things, so uh, the people who are into making stuff, you know, again, in this country, we could make stuff for the people who, you know, need the stuff or want the stuff and don't either have the initiative or the ability to make the stuff themselves. But I think we could do that in a far more efficient uh, and, you know, overall beneficial way than what we've been doing since you and I were born, at least. And then, um, right. So when do you think... 3D printing will be more approachable to the average person. I mean, does does it ever need to be more approachable to the average person for it to become successful, though? Personally, I don't think so. I think we just have to, as the people who you know consider themselves makers, um, identify as such and say, okay, you know, my goal is to not only make cool stuff for me, but you know make stuff for my community. We need to kind of return to that mentality. And I think that's going to happen, but more and more you see uh, really good technology as developed in the open source uh, area, dumbed down and, you know, hurt and uh, really hobbled in order to get it uh, approachable for a mass market. And it's really ugly to watch and it usually doesn't work out at all. Um, so, I think uh, it'll be interesting, but I think we're always going to have the uh, the makers, and we just have to turn the the maker movement uh, that's happening globally. We need to turn that into a local manufacturing movement. Um, so instead of making cool stuff for the sake of making cool stuff, which is fun, but we should prioritize and be like, you know, there's a lot of stuff that people need around here, and instead of ha having to, you know go to a large store that, you know, ships things in from all over the planet. Uh, you know, maybe it's a good thing to give people a different option. And I think people more and more choose that option. And, uh, and that bolsters community at the same time, you know, that whole thing, people don't know each other. They don't know their neighbors, yada, yada, yada. Well, it turns out your neighbor, you know, 3d print stuff and he's happy to make all your Christmas presents for you. So that's, you know, little shifts like that. Yeah, it would be it would be all very fascinating to see your vision of the future in terms of malls, your vision of the future in terms of, you know, the use of these machines and how they would disrupt capitalism, the workplace, you know, life on Earth in general. <laughs> um, do you have do you have like, um, you know, or, or let's talk about Terrence McKenna a bit more um, because I'm curious to know um, what about his. His, his, and here's the thing about Terrence McKenna that I've that I've um, you don't really associate Ter Terrence with like VR, but but those who sort of it's, it's, I, like me like I I I'll, I'll watch um, I'll spend a whole weekend I spend a whole weekend just watching Terrence McKenna videos, 
eventually if you do that you're gonna find him talking about vr um and the things he says are really profound um like one thing that you mentioned earlier um where we have to communicate or store information through through light um i mean that's already happening it's just it's the ones and zeros and where do you think vr is going um if terence mckenna were here to 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 look at it from that you know from where we're at well i think he'd reiterate a lot of the things that he you know had suspected uh based on the new technologists be like yep that you know just the distributed nature uh of how everything's going um and his idea of and really it's like facebook was it's funny that you know facebook bought oculus but it seems like facebook is the playpen you know uh or the kindergarten of what we're going to experience in you know the next level of social vr uh the whole idea of starting to accumulate not only memories but like you know daydreams like um you know with vr chat and unity uh it's easy to have a daydream you know sometime early in the day let's say it's a, a sunday and you're going to be meeting up with everybody you know at 6 p.m or something like that you have a daydream and just uh, if you got a free afternoon on Unity, you know you plumb the the depths of all the free assets. Whether you've got the you know um, uh, the gaming you know specific stuff, but I've also found that three D printing uh, repositories of items um, are very valuable resources as far as assets. You do usually need to reduce uh, the polygon count and decimate the mesh of these items, um, but. You know, there's a lot of stuff, useful stuff there, but using all that and using the freedom and the uh, uh, abilities of, of unity and basically getting your entire daydream, you know, in a three dimensional scene with contacts with different layers of metaphors and meaning and yada, 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 and then be walking around, you know, later that night with people inside of it, uh, you know, very, very transformative. Yeah, it it definitely it definitely has a profound can have a profound impact on the user uh uh on the scales of which nothing quite has, you know, cuz presence it's it, and and by the way, have you have you had the chance to try the Vive or um the CV1 yet? Um I've tried just once uh a Vive at a uh, at a meetup and it was a a demo for a world builder Archean uh, and it was uh, it was interesting because I I had been in the community and had been using a real poor man's VR solution uh, with an older phone and a 3D printed HMD and you know basically using my uh, laptop laptop to uh, run the app but then streaming the um, you know the monitor image and stereo to my phone using Shyness VR. Um, so I had a hold on one second. First of that's very commendable. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> that 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 <laughs> you went to that degree of just wanting to get a VR experience, and you like hacked out all together. That's that's pretty. Well, sweet. it was the community. It was the VR chat community. You know, I, I I learned about VR chat through Reverend Kyle being on Duncan Trussell's uh, podcast, and I go in, you know, see what is all this about, and I learn that. You know, there's a detrimental 
term for people who come in and just hang out on their 2D screens. That's screener. And you don't want to be a screener. <laughs> that, so, this is the first time it, I hear that term. Wow. Well, it came from apparently, I mean, this is before my time, uh, but the, the Minecraft um, servers, uh, apparently screener came from that community, uh, which you know carried on into VRChat. But I wanted to hang and I wanted to be part of the community. I really liked the idea of making cool stuff and then sharing it with people. Uh, but you know, I had to, <laughs> had to do something. I couldn't, I had to try to be as immersed as everybody with a DK one or a DK two. Um, so I, I did what I could and, uh, <laughs> and now I'm using a, a, a gear VR, um, as a cardboard, uh, you know, elaborate cardboard holder with, you know, decent lenses and kind of using that. But my Vive, uh, the first time I used the Vive when I demoed, so I, I had known about this, that, and the other thing. I'd had low-grade VR experiences, um, and I didn't expect to be, you know, caught off guard by anything. Uh, I, I knew it was going to be a really cool experience, and, and that's it. So I'm in there, and it's, you know, I'm standing up, and I'm doing this world-builder thing. I'm checking everything out, and then there's this, uh, you know, really big fern kind of draping in front of me. And it, and it occurred to me that I could, like, get down on my knee and look up underneath the leaf of the fern. And it just, I did that, and that caught me off guard, and I was, it just blew my mind because I didn't expect to have that instinct to, like, you know, get down on my knees and, like, look up underneath something. Like, it totally, totally caught me off guard. Um, so I have a special place in my heart for the, uh, for the vibe for that particular reason. Um, but I'm not hundred percent sure on, you know, which way my hardware choice, uh, is going to go either way with the, the timing. I'm sure a lot of you guys, especially in the community are going to have all the cool stuff, uh, before I get a chance, which is, you know, I'm used to being, uh, low on the technological totem pole in that community. It's no big deal. It's not easy to stay like uh, I have, you know, it's not, it's, it's a, it's an expensive hobby to be part of the, you know, to be just a VR enthusiast in general. Um, VR is, is, um, is not evenly distributed yet. <laughs> um, and, it, and it won't be for a little while. Um, unless, unless HMTs start becoming subsidized like phones, maybe that, that you never know well, if that could happen. Why? Here, I've actually uh, somebody in Converge like screamed out Adam J for president after I uh, voiced this idea. Uh, why not tax credits for everybody who gets a uh, you know a Rift or a Vive HMD uh, because of the the less traveling they're going to do for all the things that they you know want to do socialize game shop hopefully in the future. Um, so the, you know, the decrease in just carbon footprint, as far as traveling, boom, you should be getting tax credits, should be subsidized, should be paying, everybody should be paying a hundred dollars for a Oculus Rift there. I said it. That would, um, that is the reason why we need a VR lobby. Um, <laughs> right. Really? Everybody else has a lobby. Yeah. Yeah, they do. <laughs> um, and so it's, it's one of the reasons because ideas like those, um, aren't really that far fetched if you think about it. Like, yeah, it, uh, to me, it makes total sense that uh, it, considering the dire situations we're in, um, in terms of the amount of pollution and the rate of climate change and all these other things going on, it, like overpopulation, 
like you you would think that we try to get drastic about minimizing you know our levels of pollution and you know and 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 ad adapting to climate change because there's nothing we can do now it's like you know that train has already left the station so now it's about adaptation and i think i think yeah you know keeping people um closer to their local area as much as they can you know um with hnds i, I would be not a bad idea although you want to be careful i feel like we have to figure out a way a way to strike a balance for people to do be more productive in vr do more things with less time in vr so that honestly the, the thing you know some of the things i struggle with about vr is like is the marketing angle of it like how do we frame it in a way that it appeals to as many people as possible and a lot of it you know is is dealing with the fear that people don't want to feel trapped inside this virtual world, right? And so I think in one respect, it's important to highlight that for me, in my particular case, I feel more thankful of being in reality when I come out of virtual reality. I don't know if that's true for you, but like I'm, I, I, I am more... I don't know. I get I get it more like, oh, it's nice to breathe fresh air. Oh, look at the lighting on this tree in real life, you yeah. know, because it's was, the textures are awesome. Yeah, here. it's insane. <laughs> um, and it and it goes to show how much details matter in VR, by the way, because you know just how you were looking at the underside of a that tree leaf. Um, I just feel like more and more um, that you know, over time we're gonna be we're gonna just you know be a paying paying attention to the, to these details even more. I think. Well, actually, I've been hearing, you know, I've, I've listened to a lot of VR podcasts. It's in my lineup on Stitcher. And now a lot of my podcasts are starting to talk, at, you know, back at me, which is very interesting. <laughs> um, but uh, um, I think I don't know if it was uh, Voices of VR, but somebody uh, brought up that it's the actually this could have been a, from a conversation in VR chat because uh, there's some pretty heady conversations going on, you know, in there on the regular. So this might all be blurred as far as source um but apparently the realistic setting has less to do with immersion than your emotional attachment to your surroundings which i found very interesting and also very comforting you know because i'm not at a developer level where i could strive for super realistic i can you know settle for slightly cartoony and whimsical you know, as an aesthetic yeah. and, and this, this works in my favor. Um, but like with that Archean, uh, world builder demo, uh, you know, it wasn't super detailed ground. It wasn't super detailed sky. The models weren't, you know, super realistic and the lighting was, uh, I don't remember if it was directional or just, you know, jacked up ambient. I don't really recall, but my emotional attachment to the experience, like I'll never forget the whole, you know, not just the moment, you know, how the, how the leaf looked and everything else, but everything bracketing that moment. And, uh, you know, I think that something very true, that kind of resonates with me and I'm kind of probably going to move forward with the way I develop using that as like a guiding thing where you don't have, you can strive for a super realistic and, uh, the people who can, you know, are, are amazing and have been doing, you know, this a lot longer than I, and you know, those great tools out there that I don't have access to, but all of this idea of the emotional attachment being priority rather than realism, uh, I think opens up a lot more of a, a, 
ability for their layman to get into this and start creating and, and making meaningful experiences, um, which I think a lot of people are excited about. And I know Unity is definitely excited about that moving in that direction. And you know, years ago when I first got into the maker movement and 3D printing and stuff, I'd hear tales of because uh, when you're in Boston and you go to these types of things, like there's a lot of different startups and Autodesk and and all these uh, you know different 3D oriented uh, companies are there. And I, I would hear rumblings of, oh, there's software that, you know, people are, the artists are getting with the engineers and making tools that like get out of its own way and allow people to just, you know, intuitively create. And, uh, you know, that, that streamlined uh, conveyor belt from the imagination to either, you know, a virtual world or, uh, you know, usually a virtual space and then, you know, print it out into real space is usually how the uh, the process goes. But all of that is, you know, super, super intriguing. I want to know about the, what your thoughts on the cultural divides that we will be potentially or actually inevitably facing um, in the long term future. Like, um, you know, for example, the generation of human beings that was born with the Internet and don't know what life is like without it. Or the generation of human beings that were born within the smartphone era and don't know what life is like without them. Um, and now you're going to have a generation of people who know, um, who will be born into the VR, you know, paradigm. And, and how do you think that the... How different do you think they'll be, you know, in terms of uh, the, our cultures? You know, you we're already giving each other names like screeners, grifters <laughs> and screeners. Um, but it, well, I don't, I'm sure it's going to go further than that. Yeah, I don't think it'll be a full-on, you know, Luddite uh, situation with, with people shunning all technology and people embracing it, you know, no question. I don't, I don't think it's old. We're going to be like... I'm going to feel right. at some point 10 years from now, I'm going to feel really dated. Like, damn, these fucking kids and they're yeah, but you actually, cat, you know, possum shit now. I like, don't think you will. Are. I think you are, you know, people of our generation, I assume you're what, you know, mid thirties or, or so. Who, uh, you or me? Uh, you, I'm 20. I am. 20. Oh, okay. 28. 28. All right. Close enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the, are what we kind of think of like what should change in the world as far as, you know, like intellectual property and the, the sharing of information. Um, I think that is going to be the seed of what grows in the future of the future generations. I think, yeah, that, you know, the technology and maybe the music of like, ah, these kids, I don't know what's going on, but I think the core ethos, the thing that'll most likely divide uh, a population of people will be those who willingly kind of play by the old rules which worked up to a certain point um, of, you know, intellectual property, of sharing information, of, you know, making whatever you need when you want it, where you want it, how you want it. You know, everything about how our economy kind of like chugs along, uh, there'll be the willing, you know, play by the rules. And then there'll be the people, you know, that are just getting molded, their worldview is getting molded right now, where, that is less and less, you know, seems less and less important to hold control of everything. And we, and we see it in the, uh, in the 3D printing space as far as companies, large companies, old paradigm companies trying to enter the market and doing things like locking up the filament uh, so that you only can use their stock material. You can't 
source it anywhere else. You can't make your own. You can't recycle your own plastic and use it in your own machine. They want you to play by the old printer rules of buy the ink from us. Uh, and that's ridiculous. And it's gone down in flames over and over again. Yet the big companies still bring it to the table and say, huh, what about this? And we're like, you idiot, what are you even doing? Um, so I think that, you know, expand on how that will be a cultural norm of ridiculous to even suggest, you know, these limitations on intellectual property or, uh, you know, manufacturing or basically if it's not the smart eco way to do it, then, you know, you're stupid, but then you'll have the people be like, it's always been like this and it's, you know, chaos if it's not like this. <laughs> um, I think that'll be the big divide and it'll be a definitely a generational thing, but I think people in our generation will be like, uh, you know, maybe half and half split up. The generations younger than us will be all on that side. And then the generations older than us, I think will be uh, predominantly, you know, let's keep the paradigms the way we, we were born into yeah i i um i see that um and i and, and there's a lot of things that you've said that i uh that i agree with and i find cool um but yeah just so you know i've been trying to figure out questions that challenge you because you know you don't want to we don't want to circle jerk around here um, <laughs> but yeah do you have any last thoughts any final things you want to let out before we bring things to a close um not really uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I hope we can do this again. And yeah, we did, you know, barely scratched the surface. We barely scratched the surface. Like 3D I, printing or VR or the, you know, the connection of the two and how they can work together. Yeah, um, definitely. There was, there's so much to talk about. Um, I feel like, yeah, I feel like you are more or less a human encyclopedia, um, which is good <laughs> to, uh, you know, I'll put that on my contacts list. Adam J, human encyclopedia and 3D printing. And uh yeah. Social right media. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, man, thanks so much for your time. You've, you've been you've been awesome. How can people stay in touch um, and follow up on all the things that you're up to? Um, you visit my uh, site, which is uh, full on pivoting into multimedia studio. Um, uh, Adam J A T O M J A A Y uh, dot com, and that's got. Uh, links to all the social media stuff. I've got lots of pictures of, you know, current projects, past projects, stuff I'm up to, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, on Twitter, it's at Adam J, uh, same spelling. And uh, I just want to mention uh, one thing that I thought would be easier uh, in the social VR um, space would be finding, you know, folks to collaborate with on, uh, you know, money-making short little projects or you know stuff like that like uh just something to work on that you know everybody's working on uh you know uh in order to you know bring a little bit money bit of money into the household um but the people who work uh you know in the social vr community if they're devs everybody's got their own project which is totally understandable everybody's got their own idea so it's been very hard to you know uh find collaborative partners that want to take on a little, you know, uh, side Google cardboard app or, you know, I've got this interesting idea. It's not a money-making one, but, uh, for, um, uh, the current campaign, uh, that's going on in the States. Um, but anybody who's interested in bouncing, you know, some short-term project ideas around, I'm, I'm happy to, uh, to talk to you because I'm, always collaborating with stuff and, and VR chat, but I'd like to, you know, do some side projects and kind of 
cut my teeth on bringing uh, you know apps to market with developers who have done it before, which is something that you know I haven't done. So taking on all of these things on my own is a little a little bit daunting. So I'd you know love to do some side projects on, in that area. Uh, so that's basically a, a call to collaboration, if anything. Awesome, yeah, and I, and I hope uh, I hope someone out there out there in the simulation that we're all in um, answers your call at some point. Um, and yeah, I wish you the best of luck, brother. I really do. Um, yeah, if they touch- if they hung in if they hung in this long, then <laughs> give me a drop me a line for sure. Um, so Adam J, I, I've co- conclusively concluded that you are a scholar and gentleman of virtual reality. And yeah, I wish you the best of luck once again, and we'll we'll be in touch. Yeah. Nice. Thank you very much. And bam. <laughs>